Hi, welcome into the Orange and Blue News Podcast. I am Alec Bussey, happy to be joined by our publisher, Doug Bouchon, and of course, our great columnist, John Supini. How are we doing, guys? Doing awesome. fabulous. Doing good. How's your weeks going? Uh, recovering well, I'm hoping, from yet another disappointing Illinois football loss to Maryland on Friday night. Yeah, well, you, you know, um, that was a tough one to take. I think Brett Belima will agree with you, and the players would agree with it too. You know, that they had that game in their grasp, they had the ball and the lead with like nine minutes to go in the game, and uh, it just kind of fell apart on them the last, the last five minutes of the game. Some of the clock management and decision issues and quarterback issues. Brandon Peters kind of melted down a little bit the last couple of drives. Um, you know, I, uh, I think um, I was, it was disappointing to see how they finished the game. Um, they played so well for what, 50 minutes of the game. And then it just seemed like everything fell apart right at the end on the defense. They gave up their worst two, they had their worst two defensive stands of the game or non-stands of the game um with the team you know maryland just went maryland's got a pretty good offense but illinois held, held them in check for most of the game and then right the last drive all of a sudden it became 10 yard gains every every play for maryland I, I don't know if it was a depth issue or if it was the guys um just not knowing how to execute down the stretch and i, I don't know but i think that defense is probably a little bit worse than what we even expected and, um, you know, I don't know where they go from here. I think I think I drank too much Kool-Aid in, Kool-Aid in the preseason. I thought that these seniors were going to be a little bit better than what they are, but I think they're still lovey seniors, and I think they're just going to have to, to live through this year, and it's up to Bielma's recruiting staff to, to reload the roster. Now those last couple of drives on defense, a lot of it was tempo issues, and we saw it against Virginia, too, when the offense plays fast. Uh, they, 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 don't, they don't get set. They, they seem to have missed, this, missed assignments. And uh, Maryland was in desperation mode a little bit, down, you know, down seven points. And uh, they picked up the tempo and played fast, and Illinois just didn't handle it very well. Yeah, and it's an explosive Maryland offense. And I think that while the defense did play well for, what, the first 50, 55 minutes of that game, like, and they deserve credit for that, especially with the way that we had seen them play in the first – I mean, really, they struggled against UTSA, especially against the pass, and they really struggled against Virginia. So they do deserve some credit, and I'll give credit where credit's due with Ryan Walters making some schematic changes to put Seth Coleman in an outside linebacker in favor of a super senior in Isaiah Gay, and then doing the same thing on the back seven, um, putting Taz Nicholson in at corner over Tony Adams. Like, those are big things that I was kind of surprised to see, especially with the benching of Tony Adams, but still got him in there. But at the end of the day, like this kind of comes back to what was said on Monday by all three, Brett Bielema and his two coordinators, Ryan Walters and Tony Peterson. You know, you can play 55 minutes, but you have to play a full 60 to win. And only didn't play the full 60. And I think that's really kind of why we saw things kind of fall apart in the last five minutes. And before we kind of dive into this Purdue coverage, guys, I kind of wanted to hit on one thing and Doug you kind of hit on it a little bit but just kind of like being conservative when you first kind of responded I go back to that third and two fourth and one call when you're around the Maryland 40 42 43 yard line and you call halfback dive on third and two and you don't get it and then you bring in Blake Hayes to try and draw him off sides and then you eventually just call a timeout or you end up punting whatever it was I don't know I did they obviously punted on fourth and one 
guys, what were you, what were you thinking in that situation? Would you guys have gone for it? I was pretty emphatic on the sidelines that if I was on the sidelines, I would have gone for it. Um, and I, know I probably look like I'm Monday morning quarterback saying that now because it came back to bite Illinois in the butt that they lost and didn't go for it. But it, it hurts too. If you're an Illini fan and you see on Sunday night, the Ravens go for it on fourth and one against the chiefs with Lamar Jackson, who I obviously know is one of the greatest running quarterbacks of all time, but he gets it and they're in worst field position. I feel like that just kind of stings a little bit more if you're an Illini fan. So would you guys have gone for it on fourth and one, or what was your kind of mindset in that situation, Doug, if you want to go first, you can. Well, there's, there's several reasons why you do go for it. And I think it was pretty, it was pretty obvious that they should have went for it on fourth, fourth and one. And um, but they tried to draw them off sides. They ended up with a delay of game penalty and moved back five yards and punted. But first of all, if you, you only make that play, you only punt there if you, if you're, you have confidence in your defense and what, the, what this year gave Brett Belima and Ryan Walters confidence that they could, they could stop a, a pretty good Maryland offense from coming back. Uh, the other thing is, you know, you're on a two-game losing streak, and you want to pull out all the stops to get a Big Ten win at home. You know, that would that would have been a huge win because that would put them what two two and zero in the Big Ten. They would have stopped their their losing streak, and then they got a chance to go to Purdue and and uh, win another Big Ten game, um, winnable games. So you really have to you have to go for it there. And I asked Brad Belima about that in the post game press conference if he thought. Uh, he would want that back. Wouldn't be so conservative. And his thought on it was they they got the big thirty eight yard run on the same play, uh, you know, from uh, Josh McCray. But Reggie Love isn't Josh McCray, and you're not going to get a thirty eight yard run on, on a whatever. What I think it was an inside zone or a trap play or something. But uh, you you have to go for it there and kind of deliver a knockout punch. I would agree. You know, um, I would agree with Doug and and, and with you, Alec. I mean. I, one of my friends from back in the day would always complain about whenever somebody, a team's going to punt and you're going to get 20 or 25 yards in, 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 in field, in, in, in getting of the, the field possession and a field position. I, you didn't have much to gain on that by punting. You're, you're only going to get, what they, what they down at it, like the 15 or the 20 yard line. I mean, they, they only got like about 20 yards out, out, out of that punt. So you're not gaining anything. So, I, you know, like Doug said, if, you, if you're going to run it on third, three downs, just run it again on fourth down and try to, try to steal some more time off the clock and keep that defense off the field. Um, I, I think if he would have gone for it, everybody in the house would have said, hey, all right, we're behind, we're behind Brett. He's going for it. We're going for the win. I, I don't think that was a, there was a no-lose situation by just going for it. So, you know, um, I, the, the fans kind of turned on him a little bit. I was surprised, but, you know, um, I – I was I, I had more trouble with whenever Peters took the sack on first down at about the 40 yard line on, on the next possession and they're all of a sudden they're second and 21 then they call a timeout to me it just let the clock run at that point um, but I don't know if we're, if we're picking nits here or what but I mean I'd keep that defense off the field if you can yeah, and I, it, I will say the defense was playing well, so I, I do kind of understand why they did make the decision they did. I wouldn't have made that decision because I just – I'm an aggressive person when it comes to football. Like, I, I don't want to put the game – and especially when you look at what Maryland's offense has. Talia Tagovailoa, a former five-star receiver in Rakeem Jarrett, and Demas is another really good threat on the outside. Like, I just don't want to put those players back out on the field. That's just my mindset, and I wouldn't have done it. 
Um, and if you do it, you did it by being aggressive. But anyway, I kind of want to hit on a positive before we get to this Purdue game. And what I kind of want to hit on is what we've seen out of Chase Brown and more specifically Josh McCray in these first two games in the rushing attack. And I know Chase Brown was kind of dinged up in those first couple games, and he still probably hasn't gotten as many carries as a lot of people would like him to get. Um, in the last two games, I think he's around 20 carries maybe or some, somewhere around there in the last two games. Um, and Josh McCray, I think, is also around 15 or 20 carries at this point. Guys, those seem to be Illinois' two best playmakers on the offensive end. Um, obviously, Chase Brown just has a really nice burst at running back. He's really agile. He's got an ability to make people miss. Um, at times, he could probably be a little bit more patient behind the line of scrimmage. But overall, he's one of their better playmakers. And out of nowhere, I feel like this season, no one was saying, hey, Josh McCray, keep an eye on him. He's going to be a really good running back for Illinois, especially when you look at the depth they had. I mean, he was their fifth, sixth running back entering the year. And entering this weekend against Purdue, he's going to be their second, see me their second back with Chase Brown. And he obviously has that impressive 38-yard touchdown that I wrote about on the website. And he has that um, bust where he was supposed to be out blocking and he gets it and he takes a screen pass for like 20 plus 30 yards. Um, guys, what do you see? What have you seen out of them that's really been a surprise to you or something that a lot of fans should remain positive about moving forward the rest of the season? I think uh, I think if you if you're an Illini fan and you look at Josh McCray, you you immediately say, "Hey, Bielman knows how to uh, how to analyze recruits, knows what he's looking for, and knows how he, what what he's going to build to." That's one of the the few what late signees they got last year uh, from that from that freshman class. And to me, that's one of the biggest reasons why I can sit here and say, if I'm a Illini fan, I can sit here and say, "All right, we're on the right page or on the right path." Um, this guy knows how to recruit. He's going to recruit to a system. This is a guy that can obviously come in and, and help immediately. So I, I, I believe that Bielma is going to be able to do that down the road. And, uh, you know, it, we're, Illinois is on the right path. Um, I, I think the kid's a bruiser, man. I mean, that guy can just plow through the line. He's fun to watch. He's, you know, to me, that's, that's Illinois' closest thing to big boy football, you know. And that's what we're going to see down the road. I'm, I'm encouraged thinking that, okay, they're going to, they're going to be able to recruit this type of player and they know how to, to analyze recruits and they know where to go to get them. So if I'm a line fan, that one player shows me something. You know, the best thing about those two, those two running backs is I think they're both underclassmen, right? Chase is a sophomore eligibility wise, Josh McCray, obviously true freshman. So they're going to have him around for a couple more years. Really. It's a really good one, two punch because they give you something different. Chase Brown is is a little speedier. He's he's good on the outside zone plays. He's good on the uh, on the sweeps, screen passes, and then you got Josh McCray, who's kind of a one cut power back. And that thirty eight yard run, I was sitting next to Alec in the press box. And I said, "Wow, that kid has a lot more speed than I thought he had." And, you know, because when he got in the open field, he really turned on a, a second gear. But you can look at it big picture wise too, and 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 point to those two and several other players that are, that are young that shows you that maybe there's, there's something good coming in the future for the, for this team. And Bielema gave those super seniors their shot. Um, you know, he, he, he probably feels he owed that to him, but now you're seeing some young guys started to supplant them in the lineup, like uh, Taz Nicholson at corner coming in for Tony Adams, Seth Coleman playing the rush linebacker spot ahead of Isaiah Gay. I think you're going to see guys like um, oh, and Devin Weatherspoon is just a sophomore. He, you know, 
it seems like he's been here forever. He's a two-year starter, but he's just a he's only a sophomore. So they got some players uh, going forward, and they just got to recruit more probably on the mm-hmm. lines, defensive and offensive lines. But they got some skill guys. All right, guys, let's kind of move over. Go ahead, John. I gotta I gotta give um, Doug some some credit here. During the summer, when I was writing a defensive story, I said, "Well, who they're going to play at outside linebacker?" You know, you hear about Carney, you hear about about Gay, and Doug was the first one to tell me Seth Coleman's going to be the guy. He's a, he's the guy that can move and run. So evidently, Doug Bouchon knows what he's talking about. Thank you. Well, I'll <laughs> add something here on Seth Coleman, um, and this is no disrespect to Isaiah Gay, but I feel like us and here on our team, other reporters, and I guess even fans probably have been waiting for Isaiah Gay to like kind of put it all together since he was a freshman back in, I guess it was 2017. I think that was when it was. Um, He had a big game. I think it was against USF that year that they went down to South Florida and they got beat, but he had a good game. And I feel like Illinois fans have been waiting for him to put it all together. And he just hasn't done it since then. Seth Coleman's come in and like in the last couple of years, he's put together a couple of different, he's put together games where he's just had sparks um, where he's put together a couple of good plays. But then last week on Friday night, he kind of put it all together, had the, had a couple quarterback hurries, had the strip fumble. Like he played great. Um, and I expect him to continue to build on that. So let's move to Purdue now. Um, guys, big picture. I think Purdue is a program that's a beatable program for Illinois, even though they're, Going on the road to West Lafayette, it's obviously a place two years ago. Illinois was able to beat Purdue. Um, Purdue comes to Champaign last year. They get the win. David Bell had a pretty big game. He's in concussion protocol for Purdue this week. I haven't really had an opportunity to double check on where he's at. I know I read that on Monday. But when you look at this Purdue team, what kind of stands out to you guys? Obviously, it's a spread offense. Um, Struggle a little bit in the trenches on the offensive and defensive lines. Um, but one guy on the defensive line, George Karloftis, is probably going to be a future top top two round, maybe first round draft pick. You know, um, ever since I've covered Illinois football, it seems like Purdue and Illinois are kind of on even. They're kind of on even ground. They're both kind of um, you know smaller market football programs, so to speak. They're they're not the big they're not the big uh, heavyweights like Wisconsin and Michigan and Ohio State and and Iowa. It just it seems like they're they're even. And they've, they've both had good years and good little runs, but they can't, they can't sustain it. Um, I thought Brahm was going to come in there and, and do some good, and he got off to a great start. But he's really kind of really lost the momentum. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Illinois goes in and wins this game. Um, I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I, I think their defense is going to look is going to look better against Purdue than they did against uh, Maryland. I think the David Bell thing is, is big. I think the fact that they lost their big bruising running back a couple of weeks ago, Purdue, is also big. Um, so I, this is this could you know I think this is a game where you could Illinois fans could have some fun on Saturday. Um, it, it's a it's a place. I don't know. I think, I think it's a place where Illinois can kind of, this is a winnable game. They need to win. We've talked about all these winnable games. They need to get one of these winnable games and win one. And I think this is one they can win. Yeah. That, you know, from the beginning, I wasn't all that convinced that the, the air raid or spread attack that, that Braun brought uh, with him from, was it Western Kentucky? I think that it was, that it was going to be a consistent uh, w- winner at Purdue just because they, they put so much on the quarterback in that offense. And unless you have a real playmaker at quarterback, 
uh, you're not you're you know you're not going to be able to compete in the Big Ten West and um, they they're gonna they're probably play two guys I think Jack, Jack Plummer probably get the majority of the snaps then they have another guy uh, Aiden O'Connell who'll play a little bit at quarterback but those are those are quarterbacks that if you get some pressure on them they're going to make mistakes I, I you know I don't see them as guys who are going to uh, go up and down the field against Illinois even though the Illinois defense has really struggled. You know, I think Illinois can play pretty good against them. Um, defensively, Karloftis is really the only named guy that they got, at least that I'm that I'm aware of. And um, they're kind of a middle of the pack Big Ten team in in um, a total defense and scoring defense. They're like eighth in the conference. So you know, Illinois can move the move the ball. A quarterback play is going to be huge on both sides. If you know if they get something out of Jack Plummer, uh, they'll probably put up some points. But Illinois has got to get a lot out of their quarterback too, out of Brandon Peters. Uh, he, you know, he didn't play well last game. Had had, you know, and then the meltdown the last five minutes. So a lot is definitely on the back of Brandon Peters on Saturday. I will say this, and I think it's been pretty clear, um, especially in Illinois' last two games against Virginia and against Maryland. They've been challenged when it comes to defending some pretty good wide receivers and some pretty aggressive passing attacks. We talked about obviously what Maryland has with Hakeem Jarrett and Demas, and we saw Virginia just tear up Illinois secondary through the air and Purdue's got pretty good receivers. Even if Bell doesn't play like Milton Wright's a pretty good threat um, over the middle and he's got some good speed and that'll be a matchup challenge for Illinois. I'll be interested to see how they defend against him in the past. They've, when they were with Lovey Smith's defense, it was a linebacker was often the one matchup against him if they were in man coverage or even in their cover two. Purdue would just kind of dink and dunk it over the linebackers heads to right. So I'm interested to see if Quan Martin, who Doug, you and I had kind of talked about was struggling a lot through those first three weeks, but he played really, really well um, last week against Maryland. He kind of looked like a totally new player. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if he continues to play well, if he continues to match up against someone like Wright, or if they stay more in zone coverage like they did against Maryland. Um, Eddie Smith is another name. I'm interested to see how he's utilized this weekend against a guy like Wright and Eddie Smith's kind of a bigger body free safety. They play him at that star position. I'd like to see him kind of jam, not jam, but getting kind of covered situations if Bell's able to play, because I think that's something Illinois would do well with, especially if you have Witherspoon on Bell. Um, but it sort of remains to be seen if he's going to be able to play. So this is a Purdue team that it's a winnable game for Illinois, but it's a game that you feel like Purdue might have more top end talent but the depth isn't a huge difference in my opinion. That is like, when I look at Purdue, I'm thinking like David Bell's really good. We know that Rondell Moore was probably more talented than anyone always had on the roster. Milton Wright's a really good player, right? Like they have those top end guys, but their depth isn't always there. George Karloftis obviously deserves to be in that conversation as well. You know, Purdue's kind of a lot like Illinois, you know, where do they go to get players? You know, they, they Illinois, everybody always talks about Illinois going to Chicago, but Illinois is not the top pick. And when you're going to Chicago, where's Purdue go to get players? They got they struggle recruiting wise. It seems like they're they have the same issues there that that Illinois has in in getting players. So, like you said, there's the depth is an issue there. Um, I'm interested in asking you guys one thing: what, what do you think about the use of Isaiah Williams to this point? Are you surprised that he's not getting more touches and getting more 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 chances to to make plays? Well, he's just strictly been a wide receiver. They haven't—he hasn't been the all-purpose type of player that we thought we were going to see. You know, we thought we'd see handoffs to him on jet sweeps, some screen, some bubble screens where you can just get him in space one-on-one and make some plays with his feet. He's just been out there running routes, just like the rest of the, 
the wideouts um, not really making a, a huge effort to get him the ball. I mean, there were times where where they did, but um, I think everybody would like to see him more as an all-purpose type of player instead of just strictly a, a wideout. I yeah, I thought he'd just you know just figure out ways to get him 15, 20, you know, fifteen touches a game. Throw the dang ball to him, hand the ball off to him. I, that's been the, the biggest to me. That's the biggest frustration of the year, even more than the defense. Get him the ball. You know, we've always heard about they're going to throw it to the tight end. Well, you know, here's another year. But I, I, I'm surprised about the the amount of touches or lack of touches that Isaiah's getting. I don't. What do you What do you think, Alec? Yeah. So I think when you look at this on the surface, I think it's frustrating, and I kind of agree with what Doug is saying. Entering last week, he actually led the entire country in receptions, oddly. Like, I think if you would have told most people about that, they'd have been like, wait, what? Like, no, he doesn't. But he did. Um, He had 19 receptions um, entering last week's game against Maryland. He only had two, so he's up to 21. I think he's been passed for the National League, but since he's still classified as a redshirt freshman, but I think he's an academic junior at this point, um, he actually is tied with freshmen in terms of receptions in the country. So, they're doing a good job of targeting him in the passing game. I will give them credit for that. Like he's getting double digit targets almost every game. The problem is, is that he's not a traditional wide receiver. So you can't use him like a traditional wide receiver. Like he, the kid's 5'10 and he's really fast, but he's still kind of learning the receiver position in terms of the footwork, his route running, his, you know, getting off the ball, all those things that allow you to get open and get separation. Like he's still learning those things. So He's not always going to be open, especially when Illinois struggles, especially on the interior of the offensive line at guard, right tackle with Alex Plachewski's kind of been iffy, I guess, this year, you could kind of say. So getting him the ball in creative manners, jet sweeps, end arounds, reverses, like get slants, out routes, like things that are just allow him to get open close to the line of scrimmage and then allow him to get the ball in his hands. Cause that's when he's his best. I think all three of us agree about that. When the ball's in his hands, He's electric. Like he's, you can make someone miss in a phone booth if phone booths still exist. Um, but like, I think they're doing a good job of targeting him. They should get more creative with how they target him and how they utilize him. Some of that has been bad reads by Brandon Peters too, because there's been yeah. there's been quite a bit of plays sitting in the press box with our bird's eye view. You can see him breaking open, and he's also the kind of guy you can throw you can throw him open. In other words, you, you see he's got a step on a kid. Lead, lead him with the ball and Isaiah is quick enough to, you know, to be, uh, beat the guy just with one step as so that's, that's a quarterback issue, but um, they all, they, didn't they play him at quarterback went for one or two plays too in, in the wildcat. And that's something else you can do with him. Yeah. And honestly, like that's something that if you want to get creative, get really creative. Like he didn't just completely forget how to throw a ball. Like, yeah, he has his shortcomings when it comes to throwing a ball, but like, Get creative. Let him throw the ball. Get trick plays here, or there. Like, why not? Why not at this point? Well, some of it is some of it is Tony Peterson overanalyzing things. You know, he he looks at a ton of film of the defense. You know, he he tries to figure out uh, where they can pick on the defense, and that it, at some point you just got to have a feed the studs mentality also, and run plays to get. You know, John mentioned the tight ends. I don't think they even were targeted last week. Maybe once or twice. But you, I mean, you got to run plays for your best players, and obviously Daniel Barker and Luke Ford are really good players. Isaiah Williams is a really good player, and uh, you know, rather than, you know, this we're going now. We're going back to love, the Lovey Smith and Rod Smith era, where where it was all about 
the quarterback making reads rather than trying to get the ball to your best players. They're doing a good job getting the ball to their best players in the running game, but um, in the passing game, not so much. Yeah, that's what, you know, I mean, just feed, like I said, feed the studs, get the ball to the playmakers. It, it, we, I just, in the back of my mind, I always think about that Rutgers game last year when nobody on that field could catch that kid. Just get him in a, in a, a little open space and see what he can do. But, uh, yeah. I will say, I think they tried to target the tight ends a lot against Maryland. And I'm not like a football guru. And Doug, if you went back and watched the film like I did, like I thought they tried to get it to him in the flat a little bit more than they had in the past couple of weeks, but Maryland just defended it really well. There was a couple of times where I thought they missed Daniel Barker, um, especially in the flat and a couple of times maybe on a wheel route, but I'll give them credit. They're trying, at least they tried it against Maryland. And I thought Maryland just did a really good job of defending it. That safety they have cross, I thought deserves a lot of credit for how he defended those guys. But yeah, I mean, especially Barker, like Barker's a proven playmaker. Like he's the, in terms of your pass game, like the last couple of years, he's your best pass catcher on the roster. Um, and they're not giving in the ball to him enough. And they're not really trying to give him the ball enough, in my opinion, especially downfield. Yeah. He's a big red zone threat and a, even a deep ball threat. If he gets the right matchup with his length, he's like six, five, six, six. So you can get, you know, he's had some big catches in his career. Uh, down the field over the top of the defense. Um, but again, you know, you, you don't know what Tony Pearson called and you don't know what Brandon Peters was thinking on the field. You know, I think a lot of that falls back on the the read that the quarterback's making. But your point about Maryland is good. I mean, they had fast linebackers. All four of their linebackers could run. And so that could be one reason why the tight ends couldn't get open. But um I think Isaiah was the only wide receiver that could, that could get open. Other than Deuce Span, of course, but all he can do is run a fly pattern right now. And, you know, he's he's not polished polished enough to run too many other types of routes. But hey, to, he got a slant in last week. He again. did. He had a quick slant <laughs> catch. That was. Then they didn't throw to him again the rest of the games. So no, but I think herein lies a bigger problem. And John, I'll let you jump in after this. The bigger problem is, I mean, this wide receiver room. One, it lacks talent. Like, let's be honest, it lacks talent. But two. They haven't really been fully healthy yet this year. I mean, J- Jafar Armstrong hasn't really played. Brian Hightower hasn't really played. Both of those guys are kind of coming off injuries. At some point, like you brought those guys in, particularly Jafar, like you got to just get talent on the field at some point. And if Illinois is not going to do that, why are you continuing to put Casey Washington, who struggles to get separation and passing patterns? Donnie Navarro is really consistent, but he's only going to be good if you have other threats around him. Like he's just limited. He's not an elite athlete. You have to find a way to get Jafar Armstrong on the field, get Brian Hightower on the field and see if you can get them involved in the passing game, especially this week against Purdue. Well, you know, when you look at the wide receivers, it just, you know, it screams that they, like I said, they're, they're, they're struggling to find players in that room when your two best, two of your best receivers are converted quarterbacks. So, you know, but, a lot of uh, coaches in my past time, they would tell me that, you, you know, you go you go recruit high school quarterbacks because they're the best athlete on the team. But these guys are – they're raw. They're really raw. I think Span's going to be great in a couple of years or maybe even a year. But he's, like like Doug said, just, you know, go long. I'll throw it to you. Um, Juice – or uh, Isaiah Williams is he's, – he's still learning. But, yeah, there's, there's just no depth there. I mean, imagine if they didn't have those two guys. Where, what the, where they would be, but um, I, I, I just don't understand, I, you know, I, who was Levy recruiting? I mean, I, I, 
where, where, where did you know where, where did they in the I just don't understand what happened over the last few years. Yeah, hard to say. You know, they they had um, and not just Lovey. This, you know, they had Andrew Hayes Stoker, the wide receiver coach. Who did he? You know, who, he's the Texas guy, and he was supposed to have a pipeline down <laughs> to Texas. Whereas, you know, the Mark they did get Marquez Beeson, who he was career is really in jeopardy because of his knee, his knee injury as a freshman. But uh, and but and he was he was set to play wide receiver this year. Played wide receiver in Texas. Uh, other than that, you know. Calvin they, Avery, they got Avery too. I know that's not Calvin the same Avery. Position, yeah, we're talking wide receivers, but they did get a Calvin Avery too. But um, you know, um, when, when, you, when, you there, game, when you talk about the past game and and what Brandon Peters is seeing or not seeing, and I'm going to be curious to see, is there any kind of hangover from that last drive against Maryland? Does the offense lose any confidence in in Brandon? Um, do they split a little time with Brandon and Sitkowski? I mean, where, where do you where do you think they go there at quarterback? I, to me, that last drive was that was monument that was historically bad. I don't, I don't, I don't think they're going to really have a short leaf or leash uh, with Brandon Peters, but I, I think if he doesn't get things going, you know, in the first quarter or at least by halftime, they're going to start thinking about putting Art back in there. Um, there, I mean, there's negligible difference between the two guys, though, from what I saw. You know, uh, Sikowski had a little bit more success, but he was the only one that played until last week. So, um, you know, Belima said one thing and the, the uh, offensive quarter, coordinator said another. Uh, Belima said they thought about that last drive, the last two minutes of putting uh, Sikowski in for Brandon Peters. But then he talked to Coach Peterson and they're like, no, Brandon Peters is our starter. There was no thought to, to replace him in the game. So, you know, I would think it's not a real short leash, but but it's in the back of their mind if they don't get some offense going that they might try the other guy. What would concern me if I was an Illinois fan about Brandon Peters going into this week is throughout his Illinois career, the last now in his third year, it seems like when things go well for him, things continue to build and continue to go well for him through week to week, but things also seem to really snowball and and go downhill for him when he struggles. Uh, We think back to, he played really well against Nebraska last year, right on the road. That was probably his best game in an Illinois uniform. He comes back, plays against Iowa. I think they go down the field and score two touchdowns on back-to-back drives to start that game, I believe. And they're up 14 to nothing. And then he comes back out for his third drive and he just stalls for the rest of the game. And then they put Isaiah in when he was still a quarterback for the fourth quarter. And I think Isaiah leads him to like two or three touchdown drives at the end of that game. And then Brandon struggles against Northwestern. And then he struggles against Penn state in that final game. And I mean, now it's a new year, but he completed like three or four passes against Nebraska, but he also got sacked a couple of times. And then he was like 10 of 26 or whatever it was on Friday against Maryland. You have to find a way to get him. They, this coaching staff talks so much about having a short, short-term memory, especially with their defensive backs. You have to find a way to get Brandon to get a short-term memory, especially just wash that, just wash the Maryland game out. And you have to be able to just come out this week against Purdue and you got to be able to move the ball, hit your targets. And if you don't, you need to at least make competitive throws. And that's the biggest thing. Like you can't overthrow a target in Luke Ford by three feet, especially in the red zone, especially after getting a fumble and you've got an opportunity to score on the first play. You just can't do that. And Tony Peterson said, like, I think his quote was that makes me sick or whatever it was on Monday. That that play just is – it can't happen. 
So you have to find a way for him to build. And the staff seems like they're really confident that he's going to be able to do that this week. They believe a lot in this whole, the, your biggest improvement is from week one to week two. And this was his first like real week one with this coaching staff, considering he only played like two or three series against Nebraska. And now he's had a full game, but that's just kind of where I'm at with it. You know, at this point, he is what he is. You know, we've seen him now. For, this is his third year as a starter. It's the biggest lesson learned, I think, from the season so far over the first four games is they've got a quarterback problem next year. You know, Brandon Peters graduates. Um, Art Sikowski has two more years. Uh, we don't. We have no idea what Samari Collier is going to bring to the field at, the, at quarterback. Then they have the Donovan Larry kid from New Jersey committed and he's got some arm talent, but he's going to be a true freshman. So the big lesson there is probably they're going to have to hit the transfer portal again and find find their starting quarterback. I, nothing against Art Sikowski. He's a great kid, but I don't think you could win a lot of games with him. And, um, that you know, as I said, Samari Collier, we've seen him throw the ball. He's got a great arm, but we, we have no idea what he's going to do when he gets on the field against a power five talent. Yeah, you know um... – Brandon, Brandon seems like he's like Alex said. He's had his moments, but man, he's he just just seems to lack confidence. He's he's had some issues with durability. He's um, you know it seems like right when you, when you really think you can get something out of him, it doesn't happen. You know, I think he's I think he's tried. You know, I think he's I think you know he's not he's not going through the motions. I think he's really trying. Um, but it's just, yeah, the quarterback. I thought they'd get a lot better quarterback play out of him than they have so far this year. But like Alex said, that was that was his first game. Let's see where he goes from here. I think, um, you know, I think I think Purdue is going to be a little bit different than than maybe Nebraska and Maryland were. But they Maryland did have athletes on defense. I don't know. Um, they do have. They got an issue at quarterback. I we'll see. I, I just wondered if it, if there's a. If there's going to be the offense, if they're going to, you know, if they're going to be behind the kid, I don't know. They, everybody talks about how Sikowski has a strong quarterback swagger. He acts like a quarterback. He acts like a quarterback in the huddle. Brandon doesn't doesn't have that kind of makeup, that that mental makeup. I don't, we'll see if if the guys are, you know, if the guys are really gung ho with him or not. Um, you kind of root for the kid. He seems like he's trying to do all the right things, but. It just hasn't happened for him here. You know, he was a he was a high level kid coming out of high school in suburban Indy. He goes to Michigan. He gets you know he he's had a couple bad concussions. I don't you know I think and he's had the separated shoulder this year. So I I don't think he wants to get hit. Um, but you, you kind of root for the kid because he's he he's tried it for six years. You know he could have gone on with his life, but here he is still trying to play quarterback. Um, so you know. See what happens this week, um, but you know I'm starting to. He's he's like the rest of the super seniors. I'm really starting to wonder about those guys. The trajectory, the trajectory of his career is eerily similar to West Lunt. You know, mm-hmm. Lunt was highly regarded coming out of Rochester. He started a few games at Oklahoma State, transferred to Illinois, and we thought he was going to be a great quarterback here. He had all, you know, he had on paper he had he had everything. He had arm strength, he had size, but he's a lot like Brandon Peters in that his you know, he didn't have the confidence or the, you know, the mental makeup uh, that you might be looking for in a quarterback. So those two, those two guys are really, really similar. You know, I wonder, I wonder what would have happened with West Lunt if Bill Cubitt would have had his hands on him. That's the only, that's the thing I have in the back of my mind, but you know, all the other stuff is probably accurate. Um, But he's one of those Rochester kids. 
Back to Brandon and Art. And I think that <clears throat> this is just a quick point I have. Anytime you ask either of the coaches, whether it's Coach Bielmo or you ask Tony Peterson about Art or you ask him about Brandon, they always say really good things. And, John, you pointed this out about Art's ability to get the troops rallied around him, has the quarterback presence in the pocket, has the leadership, carries himself with that kind of that swagger that you like to see in a quarterback. They don't say those things about Brandon. What they say about Brandon is they praise his arm talent. They praise his ability to throw the ball downfield. They don't say those same. Th- <clears throat> they don't say those same things about Art's arm talent. So that shows you what they think in terms, at least in my opinion. And again, no disrespect to Art Sikowski, and maybe he develops a lot in the next year. They don't think that Art has the arm talent right now to go into a game and give them the same opportunity to win as Brandon Peters does. I mean, it's that simple. I think Tony Peterson and Coach Bielma both said that on Monday. And that's an important, like, that's a very important detail. Like, if you can have all the intangibles you want of a leadership and having the ability to get your receivers and your offensive line, your running back and your tight ends to rally around you. But if you don't have the arm talent, it doesn't really matter that much at the end of the day. And Brandon, they feel Brandon has the arm talent. They're going to continue to give Brandon the opportunity, I think, as long as he's not throwing interceptions. That's the biggest thing. But there's only a handful of guys on this roster that Brett Bielema and his staff actually recruited, and Art Sikowski is one of them. So, I mean, you're always going to have coaches talking up the guys that they recruited more than the guys they didn't recruit. So that's that's probably part of it with Sikowski. Um, but he does have a he does have a, a, a you know a strong personality. Um, what, what, what do you think about defensively this week, guys? Let, tell us, Alec. You're the guy. I think defensively I'm really interested to see what Illinois does schematically. I liked what Ryan Walters did last week against Maryland. He was he, – it was a lot different than what I was expecting. He went to his own coverage a lot. He rushed three a lot, dropped eight. Like, he did a lot of things differently than he had done in the first couple of games. And it worked really well for them. Um, I'm sure he's going to have to get a little bit more creative this week because now there's film of that. And Coach Brown's really good at dissecting a defense and finding the soft spots in it and being able to attack it. So I, I think Coach Walters will get creative and throw a new scheme out there, hide some different things. And personally, like, Ryan Walters has really impressed me in the first couple of weeks. And I know the defense hasn't been great. Uh, but to me, like, that's more of an indictment on the players than it is on him. Like, I just don't think the players on the defensive side of the ball are overly good, but I do think that the schemes are being put in can make them more successful. And I like his willingness to adapt and throw out different coverages. Like he very clearly Doug, and you can agree with this or disagree with this because you know more about it than I do, but he's a guy who wants to, I think play man coverage eventually a lot when he gets his guys and he gets his recruits into the system. And he tried to do it in the first couple of weeks with this team and these players and it didn't really work that well outside of the game against Nebraska. So what did he do last week against Maryland? He was willing to go away from it. And he went into zone coverage and it worked pretty well. And I give him a lot of respect for that because it's something that all my fans haven't seen from a defensive coach in the last five years. <laughs> it was kind of a happy medium. I think they changed up the coverages quite a bit. They did a lot of um, a pre-snap movement to just kind of try to disguise the, the coverages a little bit in by happy medium, I mean, against Virginia, they were playing a lot of cover three, like quarterbacks were eight yards off the line of scrimmage, giving a lot of cushion. Obviously, that didn't work for them. 
So, you know, they did get a little bit more aggressive and they ran guys up and did some press coverage, but you're, but you're right. They, they did, they did mix it up quite a bit. Um, I, I agree with your comment about Ryan Walters. I, I think he is a good football coach. The thing that stuck, sticks out to me is that he's good at, he's good at looking at the game film and figuring out who needs to be on the field. And they're not afraid to make changes when they need to make changes. And it doesn't matter if you're a six year player or a fifth year player or what, if you're not, if you're not doing your job, he's going to make a change. And, you know, that was, that was a huge change changing from Tony Adams to Taz Nicholson at corner. It, it was one of the biggest um, difference makers against Maryland. You know, this, and another thing about the defense that stood out to me was this, that was really the first game where they actually got a push um, in the middle of the, of the D line and collapse the pocket. The, the only mm-hmm. problem was they had a good quarterback who could run, make play, make plays outside the pocket. I don't think that's true this week. I, you know, I don't think Jake Plummer can, or Jack Plummer can get outside the pocket and make plays with his feet. So if they get that same kind of push, you know, from Johnny Newton, from uh, Rod Perry, uh, Calvin, Av- Calvin Avery, Keith Randolph is back at DN. That's right. If they can get that same kind of push in the middle, that makes it, that totally, when you collapse a pocket, that completely changes the team's offense and disrupts everything that they're trying to do. You know, especially in this spread, and I think if you get the quarterback on the move a little bit, they can have some success, and uh, maybe get him to make some negative plays and throw the ball up for grabs. You know, you guys talk about um, the, the the lack of playmakers on defense. Um, in I don't know, 1985, I was covering football in Southern Illinois, and I was a young reporter out of college, and I thought I knew what I was talking about. And one of these high school coaches down there told me. Um, I'm like asking about the, you know, the X's and O's. And he's like, he looks at me, he says, you can't have the circus without the animals, you know, and no matter what you would, no matter how, how good a lion tamer you are, if you don't, if you don't have the players, you can't get it done. And I think like you guys said, that I, Walters and, and Bielma and that defensive staff, they probably earned, they've earned some, 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 some stars, some praise for what they've done, but they just don't have the players. Um, and I think, you know, I was way off base when I was thinking about what could happen this year. I thought the offense was going to score some points. I thought the defense was going to be able to, to, to play respectably, but there's just no players on that side. And now they're, they're, they're finally going, like Doug said, they've, they've, they've given the six year guys a chance. It's not working. So this is the way they're going to have to go. They're going to have to go young and we'll see. I don't know. Maybe they, do they, do they move gay or, or give Carney a little time at defensive end and now that they're not working at outside linebacker, they're probably going to have to do that. Um, so I, you know, they just, there's just, there's not much talent there and they're, I think they're, 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 they're doing what they can with, with, with what they've got. And I think there's still some games they can win as long as they don't, they don't lose a bunch of guys to injury, but it just goes back to, man, what was Lovey doing the last few years? <laughs> it's amazing how much he got paid for how little he did, especially in recruiting. But there's a reason why a guy got fired and usually it's because he doesn't win games and it's because he doesn't have players. Well, give this guy, give the new guy time to get some players. And I think it's, it's, it, it could be something to watch. Well, I don't think it came to that much of a surprise to him that Isaiah Gay and, and uh, Owen Carney didn't, weren't a great fit for that outside linebacker spot because they, they were, they've been trying to uh, ease some guys into the play, playing that position. Like true freshman DJ Johnson played a little bit. Uh, Ezekiel Holmes has been playing, you know, coming in and out, playing some of that, trying to get the more speedy guys on the, on the field. They moved uh, Shimon Cooper from the inside to the outside, trying to add a guy who's got a little bit more uh, jets to him. And then they got 
they went to the transfer portal and got Allie Bryant from Virginia Tech. So they obviously saw what we saw, that they don't really have the players to play the three, four, at least on the edge. And um, you're going to see the same thing this coming off season. They're going to go back to the portal. Uh, they're going to look to the JUCO ranks and uh, try to add some, some speed to, you know, to the outside of the defense. Well, Another, we got we to gotta remember that their, their best linebacker probably, it was hard, right? And he got hurt in the, in the first game. So that didn't help either. Another thing that I think is important to remember with this defensive scheme too, is just that, and Coach Walter said this on Monday, that he's not at 100% install yet. And I think it's still a learning process, especially for some of these, you know, defensive backs that are required to do a lot more, particularly at the safety position. I mean, they're kind of, for lack of a better term, the safeties are now the quarterback of the Illinois defense with what Coach Walters is doing. And you guys, Owen Carney has been great, but I don't think he's been like terrible. Like, I don't think he's been a complete anomaly. He's not, he's not someone who's going to drop into pass coverage very often. He just needs to get more creative and they probably should get a little bit more creative and the way they get him in pass rush. Uh, he can get involved a little bit more. He had a sack last week against Maryland. I think that was his first, maybe his second this year. He needs to probably play a little bit better, but now if you have Seth Coleman on the other side, I'm interested to see how that might work. Owen's a kid who works really hard. Um, he's probably one of the harder workers on the roster, to be honest with you. I, I'm not completely out on him yet at outside linebacker. I think he's still just kind of learning to grasp it all. It's a big transition, especially for a guy who always had his hand in the ground growing up in high school and in his first four years at Illinois. So I am interested to see how he continues to develop but also just the back end, like the back end has to continue to get better, especially in coverage and really linebacker, Jake Hansen, I know his numbers haven't been maybe as great as people wanted them to be, but he played really well last week against Maryland. I thought and it doesn't always show up for him. Like I think Jake Hansen does a lot of things that just go unnoticed in a defense for what Illinois does. And they put a lot on him. And I think he makes a lot of plays that, like there's just not a lot of numbers to represent defense. Right. And he advanced analytic wise, like PFF, he graded out really well last week. And I'm, I was really impressed with the way he played last week. And I think he'll continue to improve upon that this week against Purdue. You know, other than some games where he forced multiple fumbles, that was probably, that might've been the best game that I've seen Jake Hansen play. It was a great matchup for him because he's good in space and, and, um, Maryland spreads you out horizontally and you got to make plays in space. I, I think when he goes up, up against a power running team and he's playing in close quarters and he has a hard time getting off of blocks, you know, shedding the blocks and making plays. But when you, when he can get out in, you know, in the open field and, and run the ball down, he's really good. Um, the thing with Owen Carney, what I've seen from him is when, when the first thing that he has to do is read and react and then, and then run in space He's not the player that he is when he had his hand on the ground. He's he's a much better player when that when his first step he's making contact with the off with the offensive lineman, bull rushing, giving him a, a swim move or something like that. But uh, as far as making plays on the outside, where you know where he's in space, he hasn't he hasn't been nearly as effective. Looking at safety too, though, I think safety is a position. Where last week I thought it was a lot better. Um, I know we kind of hit on this earlier, Doug, with the way Quan Martin played. I thought he was a lot better in pass coverage. He just looked a little bit more fluid. He looked like he had a better understanding of his assignments. And I thought Sidney Brown looked a lot better last week too. 
I thought they rotated more guys at that group, but I don't know what it was. I don't know what clicked for them. I don't know if it was having more guys in pass coverage and it was just less responsibility on all of them. But I thought Quan played great. I thought Sidney Brown had one of his better games of the season. Eddie, Eddie Smith got in. He played better um, than I was probably expecting. Really, the back end in Taz Nicholson was pretty solid as well. And we don't even need to talk about Devin Witherspoon because he's the best defensive back this team has on a weekend week out basis. Don't forget Kirby Joseph. He had one of his Yeah, games. that's true. He Good call on him, too. Yeah. All right, Alec, I think we're ready to wrap things up. We've gone for about 45 minutes. Um, let's finish up. Uh, if you guys got a prediction for Saturday's game, we'll go around the horn here. Yeah, I can go first. And John, you can follow up after me if you'd like. Uh, I do think that only has an opportunity to keep this game close. Last week, I predicted a Maryland blowout, and I was – Sorely wrong. I was right on Virginia, though. I will give myself credit for that. I actually was on the nose points-wise against Virginia. Um, but I do think Illinois has an opportunity to keep this close. The spread, I think, is an 11-point spread. I actually think it can kind of be right around then. I think if Illinois goes into the fourth quarter with it around three to seven-point game, you're going to feel good about your opportunity to maybe make a play, capitalize on a Purdue mistake. That's going to be what it comes down to for me. I will say Purdue ends up winning it, though. Um, I'll take the Boilermakers, 35, Illinois, 28. You know, uh, I would agree. It's, it, it's, still, it's still a game, I think, that going over there, Illinois, it's a winnable game. Um, I would like to see a little bit more um, creativity on offense. Um, I, I, I'm wondering what's going to happen at quarterback. Um I'm wondering if the defense is going to play like they did for 50 minutes against Maryland or the last 10 against Maryland. I, but I think that this is a different team. They're, they're not, they're just, Purdue doesn't have the athletes that, that Maryland does. I think Illinois is going to keep it close. I don't know if they're going to, if they're going to figure out what the play that gets them over the hump. I don't, you know, um, I, I'll, I'll probably be a little conservative on this and say, I think Purdue's going to win more like, you know, 31, 27, um, I think it's going to be a pl- close game. I think Purdue's got a little bit more – they've got a little bit more experience on, on pulling out a game than Illinois does at this point. Um, if Bell doesn't play, I think that's a big hit for them. Uh, and like you said, they don't have a quarterback that can just really take over a game. So I think Illinois defense is going to look a lot better this week than they did last week. But it's still – I think it's Purdue game. Purdue's probably going to win the game. Most of the time, uh, defending against a spread offense, they're going to move the ball between the 20s. Um, and Illinois, can't they can't get that feeling like, here we go again, you know, uh, and because we're letting the team move up and down the field on us. But a Purdue team running the air raid, they're going to move, they're going to move the ball. So you, you just got to stick with it and then and make them make a negative play at some point. And, uh, and really the key to that, I think, is up front in the Illinois defensive line. If they get pressure on, on a, a plumber, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. And judging by how they played against Maryland, um, I think they'll probably keep that momentum going a little bit. And they got Keith Randolph back. So if you put a lot of pressure on him, it's going to make it's going to be an entirely different game. If he can stand in the pocket and pick out targets in the spread, uh, you know he's going to he's going to chew you up a little bit. I think Illinois is going to cover if they're an eleven point underdog. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll go with with two evenly matched teams. I'd have to go with the home team and predict Purdue by um, a touchdown or less. So I think Illinois is going to cover the 11-point spread. All right, guys, I think that's all the time we have for this edition of the Orange and Blue News podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Make sure to subscribe to the Orange and Blue News Rivals website. If you don't already do that, we appreciate 
all the subscriptions that you guys have. And you can always get involved in our message boards as well, get in the conversation on there, whether it's the Henson Court talking about basketball or Grange Grove talking about football. Feel free to ask us any questions on those message boards. We're always happy to respond and uh, make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you don't already do that. Thanks for listening, everyone, and enjoy your weekend. And if you're able to get over to West Lafayette, drive safe.